You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What's up, everybody? Thank you for joining us for our second AP Laboratory podcast. As you know by now, I am not Kim Swanson. I am Matthew Lane, Maddie Lane to some. I am a film and draft analyst for the Arrowhead Pride team. I'm joined by Craig Stout and Matt Stagner again today. I just wanted to start this off. We greatly appreciate everybody that came out for the live show on YouTube earlier this week. We have a lot of fun interacting with you guys every week, asking questions on the podcast while we're recording off. We greatly appreciate five-star reviews. And if you want to attach a review with the question, we started off with that last week or earlier this week on our podcast. So please send those in. I did want to come up though. Craig Stout is known for his beer drinking, but he is not the only member of the podcast partaking in a frosty beverage this evening. Stags over here has a beer on hand as well. Do you want to tell the people what we're drinking? So representing Kansas City with a Boulevard Space Camper Cosmic IPA. Now, Craig, on a scale from one to ten, what do you rate this Boulevard beer? You're going to put me on the spot. Uh, okay, you don't have to answer. Higher or lower than a tank seven? Higher. <laughs> All right, then. How's everybody doing tonight? How are you doing tonight, Craig? Find him on Twitter at Barley Hop. I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I'm really excited for this show. I, th- I think this one's going to be fun for me. Maybe not for you, but I think it's going to be fun for me and Stags. This is a good middle of the slow period uh, podcast to have, what we have going on here. How are you doing today, Stags? How are we doing tonight? Hey, can't complain, but sometimes I still do. Yeah, we're, uh, you've got the old guy perspective on tonight, Maddie. Yeah, that's the thing. I told Craig last week that we were going to have him outnumbered because I was thinking, you know, the two mats, we're going to be, we're going to stand strong. We're going to be united against Craig. But then I realized you guys are both very handsome, very experienced in life, have great beards, and you've been around a while. You guys have seen some stuff. And I'm just over here. That's that's a nice way of putting it. Over here is a spring chicken, barely seen anything in my world, haven't traveled, haven't done anything. I have this like thing. You thought I was clean shaven when you joined our video chat, actually. So that just that that was a shot across the bow that I did not expect. I mean, compared to the both of us, you are clean shaven. So that's I, yeah. Listen, repping Casey Beard Co. Shout out to those guys again. They're not a sponsor, but we keep shouting them out. I don't like being the host in Kent's spot now because now you guys are well bringing be, all Maddie. the slander at me. Yeah, and this is true. Casey we got the five star review in a so. lot faster than Kent usually does. So yeah, we're just gonna move on now. We don't. Uh, Kent is on vacation again. In case I didn't tell you guys at the top, he has a lot of vacation days saved up. The guy puts in so much work during the season that we just we let him have a lot of days off during the summer. Even though we have important Patrick Levon Mahomes stuff to talk about, sometimes we like to talk about other things Chiefs related, such as today, as. Kay Gumminger asked us a great question for our Q&A earlier this week, and we decided to turn it into a whole podcast. We're going to go through and do the Chiefs' all-time team, both offense and defense. We're going to have 11 starters in offense, defense, 
We're going to run through the positions all the way through. We kind of talk about our picks, why we're making the picks that we are. So we're just going to start on offense. Stags, you are up first with your Kansas City Chiefs all-time quarterback. All right. So the you know the right answer here is probably the the one guy that's won a Super Bowl while drinking a Coke and smoking a cigarette. Uh, <laughs> this would be a this would be Craig's godson, Lynn Dawson. Uh, but I do think eventually it's going to be Mahomes, and it might already be that guy. Uh, he still needs the ring, uh, but all signs are pointing that direction now. So uh, I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm taking Mahomes uh, over Lynn Dawson. I, it's not a limb for me. I, I honestly listen. I, I love Lenny. I love every the, you know the profile that he brought to this organization, and I love him winning a championship. But my goodness. Uh, Patrick Mahomes in one year had a top three quarterback season ever. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when he wins one. So it's it's Patrick LaVon Mahomes there for my quarterback as well. Yeah, so for me, as we kind of talked about at the top, I'm a little bit younger than my uh, co-hosts here. I am treating this kind of exercise as only players that I've seen in my lifetime and can actively remember. Like I'm not going to go off of guys that I just have heard about or watched replays of. So with that in mind, I can't use Lynn Dawson. And even if I could, there is not a snowball's chance in hell that I'm picking anybody other than Patrick LaVon Mahomes as this answer. So that's a clean sweep. We're just going to move right on to running backs. Craig, you get one guy. I'll allow one honorable mention here, though, because I do believe it's a pretty loaded category. Okay, so because I'm doing that, my honorable mention is the guy that I grew up with, the guy that was my running back when I was watching Christian Okoye, the Nigerian nightmare. I was going to grab a Velociraptor. <laughs> no. <Okay. laughs> Christian Okoye was amazing to watch. He had the biggest shoulder pads in the world uh, out there, and he just ran through fools. Like, he was amazing to watch. Christian Okoye is my honorable mention, but honestly, and I know it's trending young right now, but trust me, we're, we're not going to stay there, but... Jamal Charles, what he did with this offense and with the offensive line that he had, the passing attack that he had, is nothing short of amazing. An NFL record for yards per carry. And on in that offense, everybody knew that Jamal was getting the ball, and it didn't matter. So Jamal's my running back. Yeah, and same for me. I'm going with Jamal Charles as my running back, too. I don't think he played behind a stellar offensive line. He played with some terrible quarterbacks. Like Craig said, it just didn't matter. His game speed, his acceleration were one thing. His smoothness with the ball in his hand and his ability to see the football field and how each individual move was going to set up something else on the field was second to none besides maybe Barry Sanders. And even still, I think he just moved more fluidly through space. Like There's not a player that I've seen in my lifetime, move in the same fluid manner that Jamal Charles did. And I'm not saying he's the best athlete I've ever seen or the best running back, just the way he fluidly moved about a football field in any direction at all times and the way he altered speed was something else. So he was my running back. It was a pretty easy choice. Number two for me was Priest Holmes, and I understand that he's boosted a little bit by a great offensive line. But same thing, going back to the same concept with Jamal Charles, there was just a smoothness to Priest Holmes' play. His ability to saddle up behind a great offensive line, know what's in front of him and how to utilize it the best he could, and just play off his blockers, I thought was a little bit more impressive than he gets credit for. 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is a tough one. It's an unbelievable tradition of running backs we've had in Kansas City. We've been spoiled for my entire lifetime in this category. <laughs> I would say my my honorable mention uh, is is actually two guys. It's Jamal and, and Larry Johnson. Uh, both guys hmm. could have been absolute all-time greats had they had a longer career uh, here. And, and I think uh, neither of them were, could be stopped in their prime. Uh, so I'm going to go with Priest Holmes uh, as as the uh, uh, as the selection here, uh, just again because of that uh, the nose for the end zone for me it was really put me over the top. I just had an absolute knack for finding that goal line, uh, great in the receiving game and, and running. I had some all time seasons there. Yes, aided by a good offensive line, the best offensive line of all time. Uh, I'm still going with Priest Holmes. We I might talk about them uh, a little bit later. <laughs> Pretty good chance of that. Might talk about some of those guys. Okay. I think we're all kind of on the same page there, so we don't need to dive in too much deeper. Uh, Craig, you didn't mention Priest Holmes at all. What you got against the guy? I, listen, I don't have anything against Priest Holmes. I don't, I, I, there's nothing at all. Priest Holmes was a good running back. I just... Christian Okoye, man. I, seriously, you just look at a picture of him. I had a poster of him. I don't recall okay. anything about him oh, playing, yeah. but I did have a poster of him in my room when I was a child. He was fun. He was fun. He, he was, was fun a bulldozer, man. He's the most fun you can have watching three three yards in a cloud of dust. Like Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, all right, all right. Moving on to wide receivers. It's going to be an interesting one, I think, as well. So, starting off. <laughs> Despite recent issues, I'm still putting Tyree Kill on this list. And now this is another thing for how I'm making my list here. All time. This is how I'm making my list here. My all-time team is going to be winning games. It's not going to be production-based. It's not going to be in the most clout with the Kansas City organization. I'm putting together the all-time team to win a Super Bowl. Tyree Kill, best wide receiver I've personally got to see play for the Chiefs so far. The most dangerous been able to do the most with him and the way the offense is going to shape up as we keep going he's going to fit in the best that's number one you're going to pick one more wide receiver my second one Dwayne Bow. I think he gets a bad rap yeah he had some untimely drops and really he didn't run routes he just expected the ball to be thrown to him regardless of what was going on but that's okay I don't mind the mentality as a number two wide receiver when he was in if he was in his prime with as a number two wide receiver with Patrick Mahomes Dwayne Bow's career would look entirely different so those are my two guys to start as a wide receiver. What about you, Stags? So I'll, I'll give the first shout-out to the old guys, the really old guys here, and go with Otis Taylor. Uh, he of 60 touchdowns in his career. Uh, you know, multi, Perennial all-pro, Pro Bowl guy out of the 60s and 70s. Uh, so the original Otis Taylor, uh, again, give a little homage to history here, at least in one category. And then uh, – if I gave an honorable mention here, it might be Stefan Page from from our era uh, oh, early on. Yeah, uh, a lot of fun to watch. Loose use uh, of the word "our." Uh, really, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, but but my number two is also Dwayne Bow. At this point, it's a bold move putting Tyreek Hill out there, and I I, I don't disagree. He's on that path, uh, but uh, for for career body of work and for for putting up numbers with nothing around him, uh, you know, I, I give the nod to Bo. I mean, uh, yeah, and my two are actually the exact same as Stag. so the old guys are sticking together here. Otis Taylor leads the Chiefs in 100-yard receiving games, and Otis Taylor was drafted in 1965. 
So this isn't like a guy where we're talking about, oh, yeah, no, he had 40 yards receiving and a touchdown in, you know, four games in the season, and we put him in the Hall of Fame because he just happened to be some guy. No, he was a legit good receiver. He's still the franchise leader in yards and touchdowns for this franchise. So, yeah, Otis Taylor's my guy. And then, honestly, there's just not a whole lot of really good wide receivers in the Chiefs past here so yeah Dwayne Bowe ends up being that guy kind of by default because he again played with a bunch of really bad quarterbacks there and was able to make some production out of it I thought about putting Eddie Kinnison on well, this see, list you're, a little bit you're spoiling bit. here because we got a flex position coming up in a little bit here Craig and oh, maybe somebody had fast Eddie on their flex list well maybe 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 I'll just leave it at that then. <laughs> I don't think anybody's going flex, so I just want to think anybody put any thoughts to uh, old Andre Risen for their list here? Man, I, I, I liked him when I, you know, I liked the way that he played the game, but I, no, not really. <laughs> no, same. Yeah, if he's on your wide receiver list, then Ty Law's on your corner cornerback list. So. Yeah, no, that's kind of no, how I, and Marcus Allen's on your running back list. And he probably would fit yeah. my list better than you guys because I get a friendly <laughs> reminder. Don't come at me for disparaging Otis Taylor or anything here. I'm just putting on guys I've seen, and I'm not focusing on body of work. We're talking about just like prime play as a chief is kind of how I'm looking at it. But anyway, tight ends. We're, we're finding out that Matt is just as ageist as Kent is. <laughs> <laughs> this is also uh, not true. So, tight ends. Stags, you are up first. This, this is right. a tough one. Yeah, I'm going to catch some heat over this, but uh, I got Kelsey as number one over Tony Gonzalez. Uh, he's a more dynamic player on the field. Gonzalez was an elite uh, possession type guy as, as a receiver. Um, I, I just think... Uh, Kelsey just gives you that extra dimension that you wouldn't get. If I had a second tight end, my number two tight end would actually be Jason Dunn because yes. I want the mauler. I want that extra tackle on the field. No disrespect intended for, for the great Tony Gonzalez. Uh, I may come back to him in a future category here, but uh, uh, give, give me Kelsey as that tight end number one, and, and Jason Dunn is the, is the extra offensive tackle. Can, can you imagine – Kelsey getting to play outside with James Dunn blocking inside. Oh, oh, or Jason Dunn. Sorry, Jason Dunn. Oh my goodness, that would be fun. Uh, my tight end. I'm going Tony. I, I mean, he helped redefine the tight end position. He's first ballot Hall of Famer. I, I regardless of what you think of him leaving Kansas City and everything like that, he. He may be surpassed by Travis Kelsey eventually as we go on. A couple championships and another couple years like he did will go a long way towards that. But Tony Gonzalez is my tight end. I'm also going with Travis Kelsey. I think, again, in the spirit of my team here, we're putting the best team out there as we can. I think Travis Kelsey, like Stag said, is a more dynamic player. Tony Gonzalez gets a ton of credit for helping mold what the tight end position is today. But to me, and this is nothing to do with him moving on to another team or any comments he's made post-football, I do wonder how special athletically Tony Gonzalez would be looked at if he came around right now. If you drop Tony Gonzalez into this era of the NFL, is he going to be heads and tails better than Jordan Reed's, than Travis Kelsey's, than all these other athletic tight ends that only got a chance because of what he did? So I'm not taking anything away from what he accomplished but I don't know how special he would be in today's era, whereas he very much so was when the Chiefs first drafted him. 
Travis Kelsey's a different breed to me as a player. He gets my number one spot. And I love the idea of Jason Dunn, although I would probably put him more at tackle, to be honest. He, he was a better tackle than some people he played with. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of offensive tackle, Craig, you are up with the two offensive tackles, right and left, in case you were wondering. Okay. This is going to get to the point where some of these offensive linemen, it's just going to be a sweep. So this one is one that we can have a little bit of variance, I feel like. I am going Willie Rofe for my left tackle. Willie Rofe is an all-time left tackle. I He only played in Kansas City for four years, but that doesn't mean that those four years weren't amazing four years. So I, I'm going with Willie Rofe there. A small shout-out, I know Jim Tyrer is a guy that in 1969 kind of helped set up some of the prototypes as a left tackle and was all AFL, part, part of those teams that were really good back in the day. And John Alt was another guy that's kind of a staple. He's in the Chiefs ring of honor there. But Willie Rofe edges those two out for me. And then at right tackle, I am going with Mitchell Schwartz. Believe it or not, I think that Mitchell Schwartz is just this. He's the new breed of right tackle. He's the guy that everybody realized, oh, we actually need good right tackles to play in today's NFL. He helps lock down really, really excellent pass rushers. This team would be significantly worse without Mitch Schwartz on the field, so I'm going with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're taking a page right out of my book, actually. Those were my exact two picks, and I thought that I was going to be able to sneak Mitchell Schwartz in there as the only person to do so just because it's the most recent short term. But if you kind of look back, the Chiefs definitely have some historic offensive line play, but you start really thinking about at least in the past 25 years now at right tackle, it's been a little bit less fulfilling than maybe left tackle because you did get that the years of Willie Rofe in there, but they were always a little bit shorter on the right tackle on side of that. So yeah, I had Mitchell Schwartz there. I think it was pretty easy in terms of talent level that he and Willie Rofe were going to be my number one and two. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to uh, throw a curveball with a Damian Mech... No, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely Richardson. Willie Rofe at left tackle. <laughs> it's it's definitely Willie Rofe at left tackle. Uh, you know, watching that guy limp and hobble and need a walker to get to the huddle and then just destroy people was one of the great pleasures of offensive line play in, in the history of the NFL. Uh I I love Mitchell Swartz. He's going to be my uh, uh, my honorable mention uh, when it comes to right tackles. I'll go with the guy from my earlier era with John Tate uh, as as my right tackle. Um, so again, no disrespect re- disrespect to Swartz, uh, but uh, uh, the the nod goes a little bit uh, to the '90s here with with John Tate. Quick fun Willie Rofe story. I actually heard from John Wellborn on his podcast that he has. It's a fitness podcast, but he was telling a Willie Rofe story just about how he did move around very very gingerly, and he showed up to the weight room after the off season one time, moving very very gingerly, just walks up to the bench press, loads up. He said like 550 pounds, lays down. Cruises out like six to eight reps, no problem. Gets up and just kind of hobbles on off. Just no problem. Said he didn't look like he'd worked out in years. Could barely move. Just walks up to the bench, does that, hobbles onto the field, does exactly what Stag says. It's just one of my favorite stories is just listening to John Wellborn talk about some of these old offensive linemen. And so speaking of these guys, offensive guard, I'm going with two guys that were also along that same offensive line. At all, yeah, Brian Waters, Will Shields, those are my two offensive guards. 
I don't know of a ton of competition. I'm sure some of you guys with your more experienced Chiefs watching might have another <laughs> name or two to throw out there. But I think the athleticism, the, what you could pull off with those two guys, even in that era of football, was amazing. I can only imagine what somebody like Andy Reid could do with the athleticism of Will Shields and Brian Waters. Yeah, no, no argument there. The, those are the guys. We we can move on. There's there's yeah, no, yeah, there's no a, debate. Those, that's, that's a clean sweep and the easiest one of any of these. All right, so uh, center. What, where we can start off with Stags here to finish off our offense. We got Stags up first. Now, center's a little bit tough. There's been some good centers in the history of the of the Chiefs, um, going back to Jack Redney back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim Grunard is another one who who would who should be in the conversation uh, among the all time greats. I'm going to go with Casey Wigman from the same offensive line that we're talking about all night long here. I'm partial to Wigman just because it was all about technique for him. He was so undersized, uh, but carved out a really great career, uh, even with that size disadvantage, especially in an era when the defensive linemen were massive. Uh, so uh, Casey Wigman is my guy. Yeah, he, he's mine as well. I even recall when he returned to the Chiefs after playing for Denver, mm-hmm. how excited people were to be getting him back along that offensive line, even though he wasn't he wasn't the same player. He was losing functional strength. He was losing his speed. He still had that technique. He could still line up opposite guys and still shut some of these guys down that played with a little bit of a high pad level or you know didn't understand some of the blocking schemes and stuff like that. He was still able to dominate even at an old age, and he was part of that really awesome offensive line. So it's Wiegman. Back-to-back clean sweeps. Wiegman was my choice too. Along the same lines, he played in an arrow just where – players were bigger and they were asked to move a little bit less, but it was still obvious that he was just more athletic than many other guys, his position yet his smaller size played a part in that, but you drop into today's NFL along with shields with waters. You just have so much athleticism on the interior of that offensive line that a coach like Andy Reed or any of these new age coaches would be able to do so much stuff with it that I couldn't look past it. And actually I was incorrect. We have one more position to fill out our offense here, guys. We have the flex, this isn't whatever you want it to be. If you want to be an old school wishbone team, you can add yourself some more big bodies. You want to go two quarterbacks like it's college, add another quarterback. This is the flex position. This is all the way up to you guys. So, Craig, you're up first. So I was very tempted to go with Tony Richardson just because. I love me some T-Rich. But I'm going with Travis Kelsey here. Uh, there's not really a whole lot of good wide receivers on, you know, on this roster, and... Travis Kelsey is a better wide receiver than a lot of the guys that I could put in here. He's also a better blocker. I think that that offense is super dynamic if you get Tony and Travis Kelsey out there together. I I would flex him out wide and let him do work. Yeah, and I'm following the same path. Tony Gonzalez is actually my flex pick. I really put a lot of thought into Eddie Kennison. Like I wanted to put him on there. He was a he was a bright spot and a very underrated player for a Chiefs team that was prolific on offense. I think he could do a little bit more than he ever got credit for. I liked his ability to stretch the field vertically, but at the end of the day, give me Tony Gonzalez. Him and Kelsey are both functional as inline blockers. I can split either one outside. We're talking mismatches all day. These are two guys that I think can thrive against cornerbacks in today's NFL. So I was leaning towards Tony Richardson here uh, because, because again, he can make any 
running back, any offense, uh, just changes the dynamic of, of uh, the, the whatever you're trying to run on offense uh, with him just blowing holes open. Uh, I, I like the Tony Gonzalez idea. Um, I actually also considered Dante Hall with this Ooh, with this pick fun. because. Because we didn't go special teams, no, we this is an this is this is just a twenty two, and apparently it's a fantasy football team with the flex <laughs> position here. Uh, so I I was never impressed by Dante Hall, the wide receiver, uh, but he, he gets some credit for just being the the, the human joystick. I, for me, it's Tyreek Hill, just because I didn't pick him as a receiver, uh, the all time t- flex player. You could do a lot of stuff with him in your offense, um, and, and just like the the Chiefs can do do now assuming he's on the field uh so uh, this was a tough one for me but yeah i'll i'll, I'll end on tyreek hill support for this show comes from sylvan learning as a parent you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge that takes a team now more than ever educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. And welcome back, guys. That is the offense. Now we got to get the defense to pit up against them in practice. And we are starting, we're essentially kind of doing a, you know, 4 2 5 Nick Lee kind of thing. Just a normal defense that you're going to see in today's NFL. So we're starting with defensive tackle. And I have a feeling that I'm going to be slandered for these decisions I'm about to make from my elder <laughs> counterparts here. But again, guys, I've seen play. We're looking for a prime one season. We're getting Dontari Poe and Chris Jones out there on the field at D tackle. I'm already getting size from them, but again, these are guys that I've seen play. <laughs> I'm going to win games in today's NFL. I don't care what happened in the 70s or the 60s or the 40s or the 30s. <laughs> We're moving. We're getting athletes. We're rushing the passer. Stags, you're up. Tell me how wrong I am. <laughs> yeah, just a little perspective. I, you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> I, I I should have seen that coming. I'm, I'm taken aback by that a little bit. I, you know, when Chris Jones gets into camp, then he can be in the conversation. Uh, <laughs> no, I I expect he'll be there, but no, I I'm I am going to go way back. Uh, the right answer here is Buck Buchanan. Uh, there's you, you can't talk about the Chiefs franchise and not talk about Buck Buchanan. Um, and then my second pick is a guy that I just loved to watch when I was growing up. The uh, uh, 
the middle of some of those Derek Thomas uh, uh, moments uh, started with Dan Saliamua. So that's my guy. Uh, those are my two defensive tackles, two totally different types of players. Uh, but th- those are my guys. Craig, what do you got? I I swear Staggs and I must have watched football about the same times <laughs> because those those are exactly my my two guys. Dan Saliamua wasn't just a space eater at nose tackle either. He he only missed three games, and he played in eight seasons with the Chiefs, and he had 28 sacks in those eight seasons. He wasn't just, and he still holds the franchise record for fumble recoveries. Was I was about to say that was that's what I remember. He he always had his hands on the ball, and yeah. Buck Buchanan, Matt. Even though you're trying to look for these new breed guys, is the prototypical three tech. Like he was mm. had that prototypical three tech size speed and strength he was kind of the guy that laid the groundwork for that so so that's 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 that even though i loved ontario Poe and named a beer after him but yeah anyway man according to pro football reference buck buchanan has zero career sacks so i don't know what you guys are talking about <laughs> okay and shout out to curly culp there too. so moving on yeah curly culp was the other one that i thought about that yeah. that feels like a right answer yeah um Obviously, there's been some change in the statistician job in the NFL <laughs> since those days. Oh. All right, so I get to start off the yeah, edge. Yeah, you kick it off with the edges. All right, so another the the other proud tradition of Kansas City Chiefs football uh, include, is running backs, and, and now it's edge. Uh, so this is a tough one to narrow down to just two guys. Um, my honorable mentions go to Tamba Ali uh, and Neil Smith. Um, but I'm going to go with, uh, obviously I'm going with Derek Thomas. Uh, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing, been nothing like him in the NFL, uh, before or since. Uh, I, I remember watching the seven sack game, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the watching the eighth one escape him at the end, uh, was, uh, uh, was a heartbreaker, but, uh, I, as was losing him early. So Derek, Derek Thomas, obviously is the edge. Um, uh, Jared Allen's my other guy. Uh, just, again, from a guy that you didn't expect to be what he turned out to be, uh, you know, the long snapper turned turned defensive end uh, is is the stuff of legends. And, and he just had a way about him, the way he carried himself, the way he played the game, the motor that he brought. Um, you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Jared Allen uh, with a slight edge over Neil Smith. Yeah, and my two are DT for all the obvious reasons. He's one of the greatest pass rushers in the history of the NFL, let alone this franchise. You know, and he has all the franchise records and everything for a pass rusher. But Neil Smith is second in everything that you know, and those two guys played on the same defenses. And you can say, you know, focus on Derek Thomas. Neil Smith made his bones still. He had. Four straight double-digit sack seasons. I know he moved on to Denver, and that was a, a tough pill to swallow for some people, especially since he won some championships over there. But Neil Smith is my other guy if I'm lining up with those guys at their peak. I'm angry right now. I am livid and furious. I thought there was no chance at all that somebody else was going to pick Jared Allen. And here Staggs comes in, <laughs> strolls in. He honorable mentions Tom Bahali, Neil Smith. Nobody's even mentioned Justin Houston yet. All guys that I thought might have got a nod, and I was going to slip in here batting anchor with the Jared Allen pick. But, uh, yes, so Jared Allen, fantastic player. 
I think what he was able to do kind of gets overshadowed just based on the teams that he played on there for a while. He was asked to do quite a bit in terms in the era of football he played in. How he won was super impressive, not being the most athletic, not being the strongest guy. He was very crafty. He used his body and the blockers just leverage against them so incredibly well. He's one of my favorite players of all time that doesn't get talked about enough, both on and off the field. Now, I understand off field. There was also some other issues with Jared Allen, but he is a fun guy when you see him just doing stuff in his normal life. He was my second edge. My first one is obviously Derek Thomas. I was very young when he was still playing for the Chiefs, but he's the kind of player that was good enough that it broke through age barriers as well if you were a Chiefs fan. So I still have vivid memories of him coming around the edge, running underneath the table, whatever thing you want to call it. I still can see that. There's some other guys like Neil Smith we talked about a little bit before the podcast. I just simply don't remember as much, even though I know I watched him. I just don't have a picture or image of him in my mind as a Chiefs player. I see him more as a Bronco when I think of Neil Smith. So that just happens to be kind of how I'm approaching it. That's sad. I know it's sad for these guys, but we have to move on to linebackers. We had a packed show. So linebackers, you are up first. Craig, I know this is your favorite position. Make me proud. It really is my favorite position and one of my favorite players to watch as a Chiefs fan. In my lifetime, Derek Johnson will not make oh, this list travesty. because mm. I am I am telling you the Chiefs with Bobby Bell and Willie Lanier had Pistons two player. of the greatest linebackers of all time. And those guys could move. One of them had 27 interceptions. The other one had 26. I, those guys were great in coverage. I Granted, it was a different time there, but both of those guys have their jersey numbers retired. I know we talk about retired jersey numbers a lot. Their names don't get brought up enough. The number 78 and the number 63 are retired. And Willie Lanier, the originator of the Honey Bear nickname. You know, I know we talk about the Honey Badger. We already had the Honey Bear back in the day. So those are my two. So I didn't see either one of these guys. And I think just their numbers as linebackers tell me all I need to know about them, to be honest. They could not play in today's NFL with those kind of jersey numbers. Different time. So Different those time. guys are 100% Reggie Raglins in today's NFL. Excuse me, Chiefs fans. I'm just making fun age jokes here. I actually have no real takes on them other than awful jersey choices. Moving on to the new age linebackers. We are taking absolutely Derek Johnson. Talk about a guy with Craig. He is one of my favorite Chiefs of all time. Watching Derek Johnson in his prime on awful defenses doing what he did was amazing. His ability in coverage to play behind the line of scrimmage, his progression as a professional player after he came into the league relatively raw and is a super athlete out of Texas was phenomenal. Everything about how he played the game from his demeanor to his abilities was amazing. Next to him, Donnie Edwards is actually a guy from earlier in my childhood. Mm. I know he went on to have a little bit better career with the Chargers than he did the Chiefs. But I still have, like I said, memories of him as a Chiefs player. I think he would have been even better in today's NFL than he was back then. I think pairing those two guys together gives me kind of the athletic duo at the linebacker position. We're playing the pass first, run second. That's why we got all these new age guys that with good jersey numbers. Oh, man. Matty is sleeping on the athlete that was Bobby Bell. Yeah. This guy, this guy was also the team's long snapper. Okay. <laughs> Uh, he was an Cream elite Abdul-Jabbar athlete for any era. Line, so they claim, so. 
But Bobby Bell also had an onside kick return for 50 yards uh, and a touchdown. Uh, he could play. He was on the hands uh, the, team, Matt. Oh my god. <laughs> he was on the hands team. Uh, coaches said he could play any position on the field on defense. Uh, Bobby Bell is a legend. Uh, he's got to be on this list. Uh, Derek Johnson's the other guy. Uh, even if you only watched the one Raiders game where he single-handedly <laughs> stopped him on four straight downs and short yardage. Uh, that was an absolute joy to watch uh, play in that position. If you put DJ and Bobby Bell side by side, you've got two uh, great athletes that can do it all. And, uh, uh, you know, again, with a longer career, uh, you, you've got two Chiefs Hall of Famers there. So I, I do like the Donnie Edwards pick, though. That's that's not a bad one. Uh, but, yeah, it's DJ and Bobby Bell here. Good. I'll take a little bit of praise there. As, uh, you know, we, <laughs> we'll take a little bit of praise there in that uh, slander sandwich. Uh, moving on to cornerback. <laughs> I'm going, and this one's going to catch the most flack of all these. And again, I preface this: players that I have seen for one season, oh, we are winning the Super Bowl. Marcus Peters, <laughs> Matt. Oh, okay. Uh, I was worried it was going to be Philip Gaines. I really was. You, you must not know my Philip Gaines takes if you're thinking I'm picking Philip Gaines. No, and the other one's Marcus Cooper. Um, not kidding. So, <laughs> Marcus Peters and James. If you had to win one, and James game. Hasty are my two guys. I think they're kind of polar opposites in corners. They played the game entirely different. But I think you saw with Marcus Peters and Sean Smith, just that combination can work. And I think James Hasty is a guy that would still work in today's league. You let him get up. You let him be physical, play in a wide receiver's hip pocket. Let him do his thing. You have Marcus Peters across from him being a little bit more of a ball hawk. I know there's better career cornerbacks for the Chiefs, but these are kind of the two guys I just saw at the peak of the cornerback play for the Chiefs. Maybe Patrick Sertan, he would have been an honorable mention here, but kind of going back to our rule earlier, he's not really a chief. So, Stags, you're up next. So, I, I like I like that pick. That's the uh, the all attitude team mm-hmm. there with Hasty yeah, and Peters. Sure. Man, there's some there's some punk on that on that defense right there. I, I'm going to go uh, back to the historical. Uh, uh, library and and bring back uh, the all-time great in Emmett Thomas. Uh, he's certainly a better player than he ended up being a uh, coach. <laughs> I mean, that's my, that's my, no, that's, uh, Emmett Thomas uh, was great at both things, but the guy had 58 interceptions for the Chiefs, including 12 in a season in 1974. Uh, one of the best to ever do it. And then my number two uh, corner uh, is a guy from my era, who Jerry Rice said was the toughest cornerback he faced, uh, Albert Lewis. Uh, so not only was he a, a, a lockdown cover guy, but he also had 11 blocked kicks in his career uh, on some elite Chiefs uh, special teams units. Uh, Emmett Thomas, Albert Lewis. What do you got, Craig? I, my two are also Emmett Thomas and Albert Lewis. <laughs> Old guys unite here. I even had written down that Jerry Rice called him the toughest corner that he ever faced. So that, those are the types of things. That stay. I remember reading that interview. I remember hearing that for the mm-hmm. first time out of Jerry Rice and just thinking, whoa, that dude plays for our team. So, I mean, it, yeah, he, he was awesome. And, yeah, he was a great special teamer as well. And, yeah, everybody knows about Emmett Thomas. Emmett Thomas was is a Pro Football Hall of Famer. So, yeah, he, he's in my two. Quick question. Craig, who did you think I was going with at cornerback when I opened it the way I did? I, I honestly, I wasn't sure. I, I mean, it makes sense that, that you would pick Marcus Peters, but I, I honestly 
was a little maybe afraid you were gonna go with Brandon Carr or somebody Ooh, like Brandon that. Carr yeah. never once did he see a football he could see. Um, so uh, safety, Stags, you're leading off. I'm not gonna lie to you guys, this was probably the hardest one I had to do when it gets to me because outside of a obvious yeah. one, the safeties since the late 90s that I've seen, yikes. Yeah, so I, I really desperately wanted to go with Eric Berry here. Uh, he's a guy that should have been an all-time great here. It, it, it unfortunately, you know, had, had a lot of tough breaks in his career so far, if it continues. Uh, so I went with uh, Duran Cherry from our era, Craig, uh, 50 interception guy. He had six seasons with more than 100 tackles from the safety position. Uh, one of the one of the greats, uh, and then. Really going way back, uh, uh, Johnny Robinson. Uh, so he had also a 57 interception guy, uh, had double-digit interception seasons in 1966 and 1970. Uh, so a shout-out to the history there. Uh, again, if, if, the, if the world were – if there were any justice in the world, Eric Berry would be on this list, uh, uh, but, he, but he's not. Yeah, and I, I really waffled for a long time – about Barry versus Robinson. And I went ahead and I put Eric Barry on this list. Um, I just think uh, he he meant more than football to this team for a long time there. There were some really awful offenses that were opposite him. And they he was there. And yeah, it, if injuries weren't a thing, we would be talking about him as probably a Hall of Fame caliber player. Uh, Duran Cherry was my other guy as well. Uh, fun fact, he's one of the best success stories in the history of the NFL as an undrafted free agent because he was an undrafted free agent punter. And he was the <laughs> NFL's first team all-decade team for the 80s at safety. So this dude worked his way in there and i see matt shaking his head because he's got an idea in his head of what a punter looks like he was a strong safety and punter in college moved to free safety in the nfl after he was drafted he was fantastic he is third in team history in interceptions he, he was great great football player for this from team. what i gather mm-hmm. before football turned a massive corner in the 90s you had linebackers wearing <laughs> offensive lineman numbers and you had long snappers becoming all pro linebackers and you have punters hall of fame you have punters hall becoming of fame these stellar safety so take it all with a grain of salt people watching the black and white clips you might be watching in a fast forward it might not be real time speed but um my safeties eric berry is like the obvious choice again we're talking kind of late 90s on here eric berry has to go in there there's really no competition for it there's nobody else out there eric berry when healthy when motivated for the chiefs was absolutely unbelievable and unfortunately his career didn't continue on the same trend that it started Next time, I had some trouble. I really did because we have the years of Bernard Pollard and Jared Page and Ron Parker up here, and none of these guys are even mm. coming close to my list. I would play, I would play with Mike 10 Brown. players before any of those guys are making my team. Sanders coming? Yeah, all these guys. Now, I considered Sammy Knight, but again, not really a chief. We had enough years there that he made consideration, but I have to follow my heart. Hussein Abdullah, he's going on my team. I love Hussein Abdullah. I think he's one of the most underrated parts. The good Chiefs defense is there for a couple of years. 
he allowed Bob Sutton to do everything Bob Sutton wanted to do. Everything Bob Sutton stood for in terms of his coverage was based around having a safety that could do what Hussein Abdullah did. He got there. I'm putting him out there next to Eric Berry. He may not be the most talented player, but he's a glue guy. He's a guy that I think makes a perfect fit next to everybody else out on the field. And kind of stick in the same role. We got to go nickel cornerback next, or nickel DB, I should say, if you guys want to take another 70s kicker. Craig, you're up first. <laughs> 70s punter. Punter. 80s punter, by the way. He was drafted in 1981. Uh, my nickel CB, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it forward. Don't you dare. I am going Don't to bring it into Maddie's house here. Oh, come on. Brandon now. Flowers. Brandon Flowers is my nickel CB. I, listen, Brandon Flowers had to carry the load and shoulder the load as a Tampa 2 corner under Herm Edwards for a long, long time. And Brandon Flowers got beat by size. If Brandon Flowers was allowed to play inside, we would be talking about Brandon Flowers as one of the best Kansas City Chiefs cornerbacks in modern history. So I, I'm going with him. I think he would be a fantastic nickel corner at his peak, and I, I would actually play him inside. Yeah, and he was definitely going to be my answer here. So since you took it, I don't know if I still want to go with him. I think in the modern NFL, like... <laughs> you don't want to right, align with yeah, the old guy? Who wants to do that? And so here's the thing. Brandon Flowers fits perfectly as a slot corner in the NFL. He do, he had quick feet. He dealt with guys that could change directions quickly. He was physical against the run. He was good. He was a quality player that did a lot for a good Chiefs team. He went on to look even potentially better and with the Chargers because they asked him to play in a better situation. I'm going to go with a guy that I think wasn't near as good, but he was he was my childhood. Everything about Mark McMillan, a.k.a. Mighty Mouse, was a guy mm. that I, <laughs> I loved as a kid. I, I don't care how often he was beat by guys that were of normal size. I don't even recall how good he was. He just had the best nickname of all time for a Chiefs player. He's tiny. Put him in the nickel. Slap him on Julian Edelman. I think we have a chance. But how is he a chief? Because I only remember him as a chief. (laughs) (laughs) Because you're so young. Since since we're throwing all the rules out the window here. You can have a good three, Uh, four year stretch. (laughs) Tops. Uh, Since we're throwing all rules out the window, I'm going to use some all-time great corners and stick them in the slot just because, or in the nickel, uh, just because I, I, I want to. Uh, get him on the list. So Brandon Flowers would have been there. Also Kevin Ross, so the, mm. the running mate of Albert Lewis. Uh, talk about a physical player uh, for his era. Uh, there's also Gary Green uh, of a prior uh, era gone by, a five-time All-Pro in the 70s and 80s. Uh, but I'm going to go with a guy who also had a chance to just be uh, a, a dynamic uh, a game-changing corner. Uh, he was Marcus Peters before Marcus Peters. Uh, Dale Carter is, is going to be my nickel corner. Uh, just a, a superb athlete and a playmaker. Um, all other issues aside, the guy was just, just a lot of fun to watch and had just limitless potential, even if he never quite got to it. Uh, he'd be he'd be a fun guy to have yeah, on my team. And, I mean, thank you guys for joining us for this. Like I said, this is a super fun kind of off-season podcast to get through here. You can see a very big split between generations in terms of who thinks who's kind of an all-time team. And I do think my team is certainly not a team that you would 
count as an all-time team. Like, it's a bunch of young guys. These are guys that I'm kind of relying on for a season. This is more of a like a Pro Bowl kind of team, a team that you just think is going to win in one season, a prime, all-prime team. So, I... Now, now we do have one I more position. I believe I touched them all. Who did I miss? Go ahead. I've got a base linebacker position still to go. Oh, I may have uh, made the mistake of accidentally putting that on there when I did the run. <laughs> Do you have a base linebacker you want to put in there, Stags? Hey, man, I, I want to give a shout-out to the neck roll. Uh, to any any linebacker wearing a neck roll, a big-time neck yes. roll. Uh, so so I was going to throw the plug in here for Dino Hackett and Tracy Simeon. Uh <laughs> I'm all for I'm all for Tracy Simeon making this team. He's got a he's got a spot on my uh, on my. How roster many here. linebackers with offensive lineman numbers do we need? <laughs> <laughs> you tell me you wouldn't want that guy blocking for you. Come on, it'd be all right, fantastic. So it'd be fa- there, like there you guys have it. There are three all-time Chiefs teams, and again, I understand that Craig and Stag's team is going to be much closer to most people's all-time Chiefs teams, and I'm okay with that. I'm okay to take the L on this one. Someone's going to take Kent's spot on this podcast of being the punching bag. It'll be <laughs> me this week. I accept that. I think you put our teams out there against each other, though. My team's coming home with the bag. We are coming home with the big W. We are going to run these guys to the death because, uh, you know, we aren't we aren't guys wearing 60s and 70s playing skill positions. Um, we're going to take a quick break here, and after the break, we'll be back to break down episode three of the franchise. And welcome back, guys. Me and Craig Stouter here. Follow him on Twitter at BarleyHop. We're here to break down episode three of the franchise. This one got started off following down the same draft path that episode two ended on with Nicole Hardman. This time we got Juan Thornhill, Colin Saunders. We talked about him a little bit, saw some fun highlights of them in college. Any main takeaways from that early draft stuff for you, Craig? Uh, not really. It seems like they don't want to put a big focus on those early guys yet. I mean, again, they, they might get there. I, I just was kind of thinking that maybe they'd focus on it a little more. I guess if I had to say one thing, Colin Saunders has definitely slimmed down since uh, since he was in college because they kept showing his, his college highlights. He's got that big spare tire around him. You've seen him running around at OTAs lately. He's, he's a little slimmed down, so maybe he'll be a little more mobile. I don't know. Yeah, and that was always a big question I had with Saunders because I was the guy that ended up watching him for the draft guide was just that he looked a little out of shape at times, not even just because he was so big, but you could see him tire out and he definitely looked like he was carrying bad weight even for a big guy. It does look like he's getting better. He looks like he's slimming down. He's in a NFL weight room now. He's <laughs> got more people to help him. So that's fantastic. He looks better. I always chuckle a little bit though when I get the Aaron Donald of XXX division and they show a guy that had 14 total sacks like one don't put Aaron Donald hype on anybody but given that nickname to Colin Saunders who was a very very good college football player but Aaron Donald was completely dominant at a much higher level and he had production on top of production Colin Saunders was nowhere near that level of productive (laughs) player like why give him that nickname no, and and see, it's it's sticking. It's not going away. Like I thought, maybe with some of those comparisons early and enough people shouting them down, which is what happened, is a lot of people being like, "No, no, no, nobody's Aaron Donald. Stop comparing people to Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald of the FCS. Not, it's not going away." And they keep putting it out there. I mean, obviously, 
We'd all love for him to turn into that, but what he was in college is not what Aaron Donald was in college. For sure. And I do got to walk it back a little bit here. Not the Colin Saunders take, but just in general. Last time we talked about the franchise, I said that they barely talked about Nicole Hardman. They didn't focus on his ability as a player, and they skimmed through it pretty quick. They also did that with Juan Thornhill and Colin Saunders. So while I didn't think that it meant anything, I said there was a chance that they were going to focus on Juan Thornhill, Colin Saunders maybe a little bit more because there's more to go on there based on their tape as players. They did not. They breezed through both players relatively quickly, just like Nicole Hardman. And I think that kind of leads me to part of my issue with the series so far. I love getting it. I love seeing all this fun stuff. But after episode one, I was psyched for this. I thought we were going to get an Indianapolis Colts like war room approach where we're going to get them like actually talking about players, whether on the team or draft prospects going forward. And instead, we've kind of gotten these fun personal stories. But I feel like we're just missing a little bit more depth that I think the first episode led us to believe. Yeah, I, I'd agree with that. I I think we were all pretty hyped to see, you know, they're sitting there, they're breaking down film. They're talking about the senior bowl, you know, going through all this stuff. Like we got excited to see the types of guys that they were going to look at, maybe get a little more in depth, you know, maybe sit down, have Brett Veach tell us on this thing why he drafted Miko Hartman, why he drafted Juan Thornhill. You know, go through the tape, show some of those things, you know, firsthand. There could have been some really cool stuff with that. And the first episode kind of teased it a little bit. And then since then, it's been more personal stories. It's been more off-field stuff. And, you know, like the retirement guys that signed the one-day contracts this episode. That's all cool stuff. I like seeing that. You know, it's still fun. But, man, I was kind of hoping we were going to get a little bit more of a peek behind the curtain than we actually are. Yeah, and that's where I was. And maybe as we get more in the training camp where more stuff happens, we're going to get more of a hard knocks-like approach where we get the interaction between players, Mm -hmm. coaches, and players and start to see a little bit more behind the scenes that way, which will kind of rebound the show for me. But right now, and especially with this dead period, it looks like a lot of the features are just kind of personal life things, which again, are very cool. It's just my expectations kind of got set up at the top. But let's breeze through a little bit more stuff that we saw here. Speaking of the one-day contracts, what caught your eye the most during that? Okay, uh, the most during that, um, Clark Hunt decided not to show up for Derek Johnson. That made me sad. I understand Clark Hunt's probably a very, very busy man, but Derek Johnson's one of my all-time favorite Chiefs. I, You know... I could I could have come. I, I could have given him the the same ish spiel that Clark gave him on the phone. The man was like fifty percent of the Chiefs defense for almost a decade. Like how does Clark Hunt not show I mean, up there? Come on, be there, buddy. You gotta be there for that one. Or at least schedule it schedule Derek for a day that Clark could be there, I guess. But that was fun. It was a little sad to see Jamal walking around. Um He looked like, of the three guys, he looked kind of like the guy that it was kind of hitting him the most that he was retiring. Like DJ kind of looked like he'd accepted it and he was ready to move on with family life and everything like that. I mean, he brought his kid to it. It was awesome. Um, Dwayne just kind of seemed extremely happy to be there and that he was getting that honor. Like, I think he, he really believed it the most out of anybody that it was a true honor. But yeah, Jamal just kind of... If you watch it again, it just kind of looked like it was kind of washing over him a little bit that it was it for him. And that that was a little sad for me. 
Yeah, and I'm sure Colquitt, you know, given the speech on him there on the field and stuff, played a part because those two guys knew each other during their time with the Chiefs. But I'm with you. Jamal seemed like it was still kind of dawning on him that he's no longer going to be playing, not even just football, but playing for the Chiefs. Whereas Dwayne Bowe's been out of it for a little bit longer. He seemed just genuinely happy that, like, somebody was caring about his football career again. And not that they doesn't deserve it. Just, like, he just seemed genuinely happy to be doing something related to football. Derek Johnson... Again, yeah, he looked like he accepted it. He looked happy. He looked like he was ready for retired life. And then Jamal, you could just see it in his eyes. He was he was on the field, and he was like, this is going to be the last time I'm going to step on an NFL field like in this capacity at all. And like it just looked like it really set in with him. Yeah. But, get, get those three a ring. Get those three a ring. That's the plan. And to help do that, we have Quill McKenzie working right down the street with Will Shields. Yeah, we do. Uh, that was kind of cool to see i think a lot of people maybe who didn't get to go to training camp got their first kind of view of khalil mckenzie out of pads and that's a shocking sight khalil mckenzie has tree trunks for legs like his base is huge and his upper body is strong it's just not your typical offensive lineman upper body with a little bit of weight you know hanging around there like He's slim up top, but yeah, yeah. I I know I saw a lot of people that were seeing Khalil McKenzie for the first time on this thing that I saw that were just going, whoa, what what is with that? What is with those legs? Yeah, and with those legs, can we someone stop by in Overland Park and just tell Will to throw some weight on that sled? I mean, those are some <laughs> legs, man. We can we can put a plate or two on there. Let this man push around. He won't My- be able to tell. Yeah, my man can push that. I mean, you look at that. He he can drive that. Now, and here's the thing, and I don't want to go too far into it because it is just a limited view, but something that kind of caught my eye with that, he was getting a lot of basic work from Will Shields there with just slide technique and just not chopping his feet too much and just essentially how to move as an offensive lineman. And I get it, he's still in the transition, but I was I would kind of hope at this point in time in his career that he was just showing a little bit more advanced, like he was getting more technique work rather than basics work. And so that was just something to keep an eye on. And again, it's a limited view. You're looking very much through a tiny lens here at it, but it seemed to be a lot of basic, just how to move off the line work for Chloe McKenzie. But the good news is he's getting out of the chief's facility to do it when he can't go back there. He's seeing help from a hall of fame level player. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we can't complain too much. Now, one thing we can question Cool McKenzie's uh, love for cats. I don't know, I, man. He has a dog. He rebounded with the dog, but the cat two dogs. Two dogs. There were two dogs there. Yeah, but they're outnumbered by cats. I know. I Listen, uh, I, I'm with Matt here. Uh, we are dog people. Um, I, we may have lost some listeners there. I don't, I don't care. I honestly don't care. <laughs> that's, that's the one stance that I'm going to take on this entire podcast. I, if you have a cat, I just hope it is the most like stereotypical cat ever. And it's just very stuck up, knocks nah. everything over on purpose, and it does everything to irritate you. Because if it's a stereotypical funny cat, I'm great for it. But anything else, guys, I had cats all growing up. Just dog, try a dog. Even a small dog, try a dog. Um, <laughs> real quick, favorite anime series, go. Favorite anime series that Khalil McKenzie watches or, no, or mine? Oh my god! You're well versed uh, in all things, so uh, we know Khalil McKenzie's. What one One Punch Man? I yeah, maybe I, I I don't know I don't know I, I I'm not well versed in anime. There, I did recognize the names of 
both of the anime that Khalil McKenzie had hanging up on the wall. I mean, it, it was very interesting to me that on a chief show that they allowed him to go for that long. I mean, they let him show his personality. They let him talk a lot about him, the man. And regardless of what you think about the things that he watches or anything like that, I, I think that's kind of cool. So, yeah. yeah, and last week or two weeks ago, we got the Derek Nani trip back to Florida State, and you got to see a little bit about his past. So they're kind of giving guys that people don't hear from as much or don't think about talking as much, and especially these younger guys. Mm-hmm. They're giving you a chance to see into kind of who they are as people. So I agree it's cool from that perspective. But, yeah, I was surprised that they gave – they seemed like they lingered on the Khalil McKenzie thing a little bit, just let him kind of go through everything about his life. It was interesting. It's Something because, else – oh, go ahead. It's because they knew they had the payoff. At the end of the episode, if you were going to get to that next, the the Debo route, go ahead. That <laughs> Dwayne, when they announced that there was still a Debo route in the you know in the playbook and everything like that, I think all of us kind of speculated what it might be, or you know, is it just a fade? Did him go up and get it, you know what what is it? It's literally a curl route, <laughs> at which he stops to the sticks, to the sticks, which he stops. Claps twice, and then holds his hands up while other receivers run routes behind him, and he just waits for the ball to come to him. And that's that's copyrighted. That's copyrighted to him. That I don't know. I don't think it could have been better. Like that that exceeded my expectations for what the Debo route was. I I just it was amazing. I, Andy Reid still calls it. Andy Reid still has a Debo route in the playbook. So I mean, I I, I want to see. Somebody run a curl and clap twice. Like, I, w- I want the clap twice to be part of that. I mean, here it is. We had Derek Johnson, Jamal Charles, and Dwayne Bow all kind of do these one-day contracts here and sh- highlight it on this episode. Only one of them still in the playbook. That's true. <laughs> That's true. And, I mean, I-, I can't argue it. I can't argue it. I just, I-, I was thinking that it was going to be something different than a curl at the sticks. I mean, that's... <laughs> Another thing that I kind of found interesting from the episode was just they brought in Frank Clark for like a mini presser. They brought him in, and I'm sure it was the way the franchise was cut. I'm sure this isn't exactly how it played out, but they brought it in, they introduced him, he kind of said hi, and then they immediately like kind of cut off, and he just said bye, and the voiceover started. Like, I felt like we were about to get like a hype-up speech. Like, every time you've heard Frank Clark talk, well, now he's had some very serious interviews with BJ Kissel before, and you've heard him talk seriously. But when he's talking to the media, usually he's an upbeat, energetic guy, and he mm-hmm. looked like he was ready to roll for this presser. He and did. we got nothing of it. Yeah, like Craig I, said, he came around the corner beaming. He was oh, ready to talk. He was fired up. He he was bouncing into that room. He was so excited to be a part of this franchise, and he's like, "Hey guys, I'm Frank Clark." And then the voiceover kicked in, and we got the very end of it with him being like, "All right, thanks guys." You know. Yeah. So I felt like we got gypped a little bit though. Like I wanted to hear someone. I just wanted to hear his energy and a little bit about him. And I'm sure with one of these slower weeks, you're going to get a Tyron Matthew and a Frank mm-hmm. Clark bigger piece. Like it's going to happen. I'm, I'm, they're going to be severely missing out on a lot of views if they don't or just entertainment value but it was just we were hoping to see some there but it was really cool to see them dedicate the room to Derek thomas emmett thomas emmett thomas yep that was one of my favorite parts of the whole thing like i like seeing emmett thomas help Derek thomas's mother up there as they accepted their plaques everything Mm -hmm. about it was really cool anything else really catch your catch your eye from this episode i think we touched on a lot of it here this is probably our longest recap ever <laughs> probably for the episode that probably showed the least i know i know uh, it, 
I don't know. It, it was fine. I, I feel like the next one's going to be pretty much the same. You know, Pat at Big Slick and Gary Dieter and his pit bulls. Hey, there we go. That's going to be interesting. We'll break that down hardcore. You think Chloe McKenzie's bringing his cats? Uh, well, never mind. I'm not breaking that down anymore. But yeah, no, nah, it, it was fine. I'm, I'm glad we have it. I'm glad we're getting a look at some of these players. But I, I'm ready for them to get on the field and see some more of the interactions between them. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm ready for the camp part. So we'll see what the next one brings. We got two weeks and we'll be back with this. Thank you for listening to the AP Laboratory podcast. We'll be back next Wednesday. I believe Kent is back. He might have a fourth or fifth vacation lined up. I'm not sure. He does, in fact, have a fresh haircut, though. So you guys have a lot of things to look forward to for the live stream on Tuesday. Make sure you're following Craig at Barley Hop on Twitter. He'll tell you guys when that all goes down. Join us. Talk live. Leave five-star reviews. Like us on YouTube. All the fun stuff like that. But thank you guys for joining us, and we'll catch you next week. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.